used to my watch being on the other wrist. It messes me up. All right, it's about time to start. Seven o'clock. Thanks everybody for being back. I was really encouraged by the first two lessons, and I get to teach the third one. Uh, so tonight, as you can see on the screen, we're in James chapter 1, verses 21 to 25, and James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. And if you know anything about the book of James, you'll know that the first chapter is really sort of a, it's almost a table of contents for the rest of the book. It's only five chapters, so really there's a lot of uh, individual sections that kind of have links out to the rest of the chapters. So if you're wondering why we're kind of jumping around, that's why, because Chapter 1 introduces the subject of faith and our works, and then Chapter 2 kind of carries that forward. There's a section that I don't want to talk about, and that's because if I talk about it, then Ryan's going to have nothing to talk about tomorrow night. So, so let's, let's be sort of careful not to talk too much around the beginning of Chapter 2, uh, maybe even the end of Chapter 1. There are some things there that would be really, really tempting, as we talked about temptation, uh, to talk about where we're not going to talk about those things. So um, let's just do a, a really quick recap of where we are. James, one of my favorite books in the New Testament, James is really focused on practical living. And it ties into the, the theme of this lesson series, which is living the Christian life 24-7. It really is about living. It's about putting these things into practice. And that theme of living and doing these things habitually and continually in our lives sort of hits home, I think, in this lesson, really, in a big way. Uh, the first lesson that we talked about, uh, Mitch introduced, and it was focused on trials and how trials really are something that we all deal with. Every one of us goes through difficulties, and as Mitch talked about, the happenings of our life can, can, can color our attitude, they can change our outlook and our perspective on things. But if we have a heavenward focus, and if we're thinking about really what is happening at the end of all of these things, we'll have a joy when we go through these trials. We will count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, that's pretty rich from a guy like James to talk about, right? Because if James is the James who we think it is, James suffered a lot in his own life. And so for him to talk about trials and, and being joyful in trials, it's a lot like Paul talking about suffering and the joys in his suffering in the book of Philippians. It's, it's, you can see that, that this is an experiential kind of joy. He's not just you could say blowing smoke. He's not just really you know, making this up. He really is speaking from experience and saying, when you go through trials, it's a joyful thing because we know that we're being perfected. And that word is going to become important, I think, um, in this lesson that we're going to go through today. So Mitch talked about the trials and the joy. And then in verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And so this idea of wisdom is introduced there, and wisdom is a huge part of the book of James. So we're going to continue that conversation about wisdom here in this lesson uh, tonight as well. And then Rick 
picked up the conversation about temptation. Now, trials and temptation, they seem like very similar things, but they're not at all. Because temptations don't necessarily need to come in the form of, of difficulties and struggles and, and, and challenges that come our way. Temptations can definitely come just from good things. We can be tempted even in good, positive things. You can be tempted when things are great and when you have plenty of money and when you've got a lot of resources. Temptations can come in that. Temptations can absolutely come during trials. And those two things are linked together. But as we talked about there, we need to understand that every good gift and every perfect gift, there's that word again, perfect. We'll talk about that again here in a little bit. But every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God gives us good things. God's not the source of our temptations. He's not the source of trying to pull us away from him. He wants us to stick close. So why would he ever do that? And so that idea that we talked about um, last, last evening about temptations is really powerful to kick this thing off because it's, it's something we all go through, right? We all go through trials, and we all have temptations. So I, hopefully every one of us have connected with something the first two lessons. Has it hit home for you in the first two lessons so far up to this point where you're really seeing things that are, that are pertinent and relevant to your everyday life? Now, here's the thing. I've heard it said that James is like a practical gut punch. And I love that. It's very uh, colorful way of viewing the book of James, but it really is. When you read the book of James, just one after another after another, it, it is very much hitting home, right? And I think this is about the time in the lesson when we get to this topic, nearing the end of chapter one and into the end of chapter two, where we're talking about faith leading to change. That is where this practical gut punch really kind of hits a crescendo, in my mind, because all of us are here tonight, sitting in a Bible class, listening to, to God's word, listening to these conversations. All of us are here. All of us are interested. We're expressing our interest by spending time together tonight, right? So all of us are interested in the Bible. We're, we're listening. We're, we're being thoughtful of these things. But are these things going to change us? Are these things going to make a difference or an impact in our life? And that's a really big question. And for a lot of people in the world, the answer is no. But I don't really want to talk about the world. I, this topic, by the way, of faith and works and, and the connection between faith and works, it can very quickly devolve into a conversation about those people and other people's beliefs. And I really want to stay away from that tonight. Because this is a practical gut punch, I want us to feel the impact of it tonight. I want us to really just, just brace ourselves and look inwardly. Because if we don't, then I think we miss the point of what James is really focused on here. So we're all good with that. I think there's, there's a lot to be said. But maybe let's just start off here. And if somebody could read for me James chapter 1, verses 21 to 25. Um, real loud, uh, James 1, 21 to 25. We'll kind of start there and, and work our way through. Gary, you got it? Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, 
is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. But once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed Okay, so there's a, there's a problem introduced here, and we'll get into that in just a second, but James uses this, as he does a lot, by the way, throughout his book, he uses word pictures and imagery to help you kind of see what he's trying to talk about. The image that he uses here is of somebody looking in a mirror. How many of you looked in a mirror today? Probably all of us, a lot of us, maybe. You look in a mirror, and you know what you look like, and then you walk away, do you remember what you look like when you walk away? The, the, the implication is we all know what we look like when we walk away. We don't need to stand in front of the mirror to, to remember who we are, to remember what our face looks like. And when we walk away, we, we know what we look like, or at least we should. And that's sort of the, the obvious, you know, logical way of viewing this. When you look in the mirror, you know what you look like after you walk away, but people who are a hearer of the word and not a doer. People who only hear what's being said and don't actually go out and do it are like somebody who just forgets what they look like, forgets who they are. Anybody here a forgetful person? Okay, uh, maybe you forgot if, you for, if you're a forgetful person, I don't know, but for a lot of us, we're forgetful people and just kind of maybe starting this off a little light with an icebreaker, like is there anything that you do in your own life that helps you like on a day-to-day -day basis to remember important or un unimportant things? You write it down? Where do you write it down? Okay, you got a book. Do you remember to bring the book with you? Okay, so if the book is at work and, it's, and you're lost because you're not at work with the book, right? How do you remember to do stuff? Ryan writes it down. Yeah, go ahead. Your phone? Yeah, you, you put it in your phone, right? You got an alert on your phone. My, my wrist is thumping, my, my watch is thumping me on the wrist all day long to remember to eat a snack, to brush my teeth, to take my vitamins, I, all the time. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true for me. Okay. So you turn it into a habit, and then you don't even need to remember it because it's just like so ingrained in, in what you're doing. Okay. I, I think for a lot of us, you know, we have things we need to remember, right? And that's why when James says this here, when he talks about forgetfulness, because forgetfulness really is the problem, right? When it comes to when it comes to putting into practice the word, all of us know what the Bible says. I mean, I say all of us. So many of us in this room, most of us in this room know what the Bible says. You know, when you go and you read, especially going back and reading the book of James, probably nothing in here is going to be like a shocking revelation to you that you've never heard before, right? It'll be a reminder. It'll be something that you're having to remember. And so for James to talk about forgetfulness 
and the problem of forgetfulness, directly connected to our doing of the word, putting it into practice in our life, can't we all connect with that? We, we all forget things all the time. And we have to go out of our way to remind ourselves to do things, like putting something on our phone, or writing it in a book, or making a habit out of it, or however you do it. Whether you put it on a post-it note on your mirror, or you tie a string around your finger to remember it. You know, for all of us, remembering something is important. And that is, I think, one of the ways to address this problem. And that's why James uses this example, because all of us can relate, I think, to being forgetful. What do you think about that? Do you think that James is really helping you in a practical way here by, by kind of connecting it to, to your forgetfulness and how, how easy that is for you? It's going to be the habit, right? right? So you're going to be able to draw on it when you need it. Bring up a child the way you should go, right? Well, therefore, you need it when you have, when you need it. You have it. Yeah. And it's habit-forming, so now you're taking the rest of it out. But it doesn't start that way, though, does it? Like, you don't, you know, if, you, if your doctor gives you a new medication or something like that, it takes, 30 days to start it takes a while to kind of develop that. So, and we all know how bad we are at, like developing those habits and we could like, you know, it, there are people thumping their, their spouses on the arm right now and looking at each other, right? I mean, this is, this is what happens. We all know that it's not easy for us to develop a habit. And so focusing on that though, if we can implant it and it does become something we don't even have to think about, we just do it because it's part of who we are, that really is woven into this idea of perfect, which we'll get to in a second. No, no, go ahead. Um, forgetting can also have a positive aspect. Sure. Paul said in Philippians 3 that I forget the things that you've done. Congratulations, but forget those and strive to keep going forward. Yeah. In other words, can't live in the past on your good deeds. So in that sense, maybe forgetting would be a good thing. Yeah, uh, and, and it's not to paint the picture that forgetfulness is a bad thing, right? because there are positive ways of forgetting. And of course, as we talk about putting to death the old man, really, that, that old way of life has been forgotten. And hey, you know, it's, we've moved past it. Um, even our accomplishments and the good things that have happened. But, you know, for his example here of, of forgetting what he was like, we all, we all, when we read the Bible, we all, when we look at Jesus' story, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be, we want to be his people, his special chosen people. And so we know who we should be. You know, we know who we should look like out in the world, but we just forget to be that way. And that, that kind of forgetfulness is really the problem here. So hopefully we can all connect to this idea of forgetfulness because that's where he really starts this out with in this picture. So Brian, Go ahead. It, it could be. It also could not be. I mean, it, it, so if you, if you think about, and we'll actually look at a few examples uh, today of people who did forget. And for all of these examples, I think you could make the case that 
well, it was the pride, it was the temptation, it was the choice. You know, we didn't, they didn't want to do what was right enough to actually do it. So it's not to say that, that the forgetfulness just happens to us, right? But we haven't taken the steps to make sure we've shored that up ahead of time. So that's a good distinction, I think. Okay, so I want to go to a kind of a weird place. Actually, um, if we can start off this conversation sort of moving on from this idea of forgetfulness to Jesus, something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Um, so turn with me over to Matthew 7. One of the things that I don't know that we've talked about a lot at, up to this point, have you noticed how James echoes in so many ways the Sermon on the Mount? Have you noticed how, I mean, and we're just getting into it, right? We were only three lessons in, and barely even scratched the surface into chapter two already, but, but hopefully we're able to see how much James echoes the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five through seven. Hopefully you're also able to, to see how James echoes the Proverbs. Have you noticed how he, he with almost sort of these like one-liners, and little like, you know, wise sayings, things we can sort of like remember and roll over in our mind again. It's very much like Proverbs, even especially one through nine, like the beginning of Proverbs. So I don't think it's a stretch for us to really go back to something that Jesus said, because Jesus actually had a lot to say about true faith and the, the, the need for change coming out of that. And so in Matthew chapter seven, at the end, basically Jesus' entire summary of the Sermon on the Mount in, in verse 24, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Of course, this is a, a, a story we read all the time, right? In the context of what we were just talking about with James and being a forgetful hearer and not following through and doing the kinds of things that we need to be doing, can you see why, why Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount with this conversation about doing the things that he says? What is the value in doing what Jesus says? What benefit is that to us? Yeah. It's an acknowledgement that we love God. That's a huge one, right? Because if we don't love God, if we don't love Jesus, we're not going to follow what he says. We're not going to change our life to, to follow his example and to do the things that he says. Now, of course, we're using him and his words as the bedrock, the foundation for what, for what we do. So everything that Jesus says, everything that he's taught us, we incorporate that as, the, as really the starting place for how we build our lives. How would a foolish man hear the words of Jesus but not do them? Like, give me an example. What, is, what do you think Jesus is trying to mitigate against here? Yeah. It's probably not what you're looking for. Oh, I don't care. When I read that, what I think of is learning it academically. Yes. Okay, so for those of you who couldn't hear that or see that, knowing it academically, you need to get it from here to here, I think is exactly the point, right? How easy would it have been 
for a lot of people there, sitting there, however long the Sermon on the Mount actually was, I don't know how long, how long it would have been, sitting there listening to Jesus, I mean, again, practical gut punches, the Sermon on the Mount was, was absolutely one of them. Probably one of the best ones. And so you're listening to Jesus, and you're like, wow, this is so challenging, and, and he's pushing you to do things you never thought that you could think of, you know, conceptualize doing in your life. And maybe you agree with Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, I understand what you're saying. I get it. But you go and you leave the Sermon on the Mount. You leave that place. And do you actually do anything about it? When somebody wants to take something from you, do you give them more than they asked of you? When they strike you, when they, when they make fun of you or mock you, do you, do you just let it go? You know, do you actually put into practice the things that he taught in that sermon? Or is it just a, a mental acknowledgement? And that's what the foolish person will do. Notice here, by the way, that this isn't the only focus or emphasis on doing. Because actually, in chapter 7, verse 12, when he's talking about doing unto others, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. So he, there's an emphasis on action there, right? Do good to other people like you'd want them to do to you. How are you going to know about false prophets? You're going to know them. You're going to recognize them by what they do, by their actions, by the things that they participate in. And then as Jesus talks about this great judgment scene, by the way, in verse 21, when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You notice what he did there? He put himself in the judgment seat of God. The people are going to have to say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus. That would have been shocking for people to hear, right? That Jesus was going to be the judge of people. But uh, obviously, we accept that. But this, is, this would have been revolutionary for, for his time. But people are going to say, I did so many things. And what is Jesus going to say to them? Depart from me. I never knew you. Oh, you, you talked a good game. You, you seemed to do a lot of important things, but you didn't. You didn't do what I told you. And then he leads into this last section here about doing what he says. Is it enough for us to know what Jesus says? Is it enough? Do you have to know what Jesus says? Okay, so again, there's a nuance here, right? We can't just, we can't just let the pendulum sw swing from one end to the other and, and find the, the wholeness that he's going to talk about. We can't, we can't just say, well, we never need to know about what Jesus says. It's only about action, right? Well, that's not true. And then we can't go to the other direction and say, well, you know, it's, it's all we have to do is know and, and really just focus on, you know, studying and this academic kind of, kind of mindset. And it doesn't really matter what we do. We all understand that there's a difference, that, that, that both of those things have to be combined together. And that is what chapter 2 is about. So we're going to get there in just a second. But I want to think about what Jesus is saying here. We have to be able to put these two things together. What Jesus says, we have to put them into practice. And if we do, then we are building on a strong foundation. Right? We are at a, we are at a place where we have been founded on a rock. And of course, the, the trials, the trials and all the temptations and everything is going to come our way. And what are we going to do? We're going to stand. We're going to stand. We're not going to crumble. We're not going to fall apart because we've been founded on the rock. 
Okay, so that's the whole idea here. And I think you can see why this has so much power in light of what we're talking about in James. Because it's kind of the same idea. So if you go back to James, did you notice this word? And, and we already touched on it just a second ago, but you notice this word meekness? I want to I look at two heavy words here for just a few seconds. If you think about these two words here in this context, the first word is meekness. Now, okay, we're talking about faith, putting faith into action, changing. What does meekness have anything to do with it? Why does he put the word meekness in here? When, when he says here in verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Why is the word meekness such an important factor in this? Yeah, and I think meekness is one of these like super misunderstood words a lot of times. What, is, what do you usually think about when you think about meekness? Humble spirit, weakness. Okay, what did you say? Power under control. Power under control is, you're on the right track. A lot of times this word is translated as gentleness or humility. You know, of course, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of sort of softness or docileness that you get with this idea, but it is power under control. This word, and, and it's no secret because I think I've probably mentioned this in a, in a lesson or two, the word meekness actually in the Greek, outside of religious circles, you know, not even related to like spiritual or religious kinds of conversations, the word meekness in the Greek was used to describe war horses. When they wanted to talk about a war horse, and how a war horse listened to the rider, they would talk about the word meekness. And that is the idea of power under control. So when you've got a rider who wants to take a horse into a place where the horse does not want to go naturally, you know, into a bloody battle, into swords and, and peril, and the rider wants the horse to go there, what good is the horse to the rider if the, if the horse turns around and says, I, I would rather not. <laughs> I, I would prefer that we don't go there, uh, Ryder. No, of course, when you have a war horse, you want the horse to listen to you, right? And to, and to bend its will and replace it with yours. Okay, and so you can see, though, the idea of humility there, though, right? Because humility is all about taking ourselves out of the center of everything and putting someone else there. And really, it's the idea of putting Jesus there and his will there, a la Matthew chapter 7, and listening to him rather than our foolish plans. John. Uh, I heard a good definition. Meekness is concerning Moses because Moses was meek. Meek, the meekest man on earth, yeah. And, and the definition helped me at that time was he didn't do less than he was supposed to, he didn't do more than he was supposed to. Okay. The, the operative word there, I think, is do, right? He didn't do more than he was supposed to or less than he was supposed to, but he did what he was supposed to do, right? And it's the action. It's the doing of it. And so while a lot of times you look at the word meekness and you're like, receive with meekness. Oh, receive with a, a nice, gentle, soft spin. No, that's not what he's talking about there. That's not at all what he's talking about there. Uh, let's look at chapter 3, actually. I know this is not part of our conversation here, but 
I think this ties in nicely with what Mitch introduced us to on Sunday. In verse 13 of James chapter 3, James introduces this idea of wisdom, uh, earthly wisdom versus spiritual wisdom. And he goes on to say in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The meekness of wisdom. Now, thinking of meekness in that sense, right, of, of power under control, what is wisdom? Mitch talked about it on Sunday. What is, what is wisdom? An application of our knowledge, right? Wisdom is not knowledge, as Mitch made the point on Sunday. Wisdom is not knowledge in and of itself, because knowledge by itself doesn't take action. It's, it's our knowledge in action, right? It's the, it's the skill that we develop in doing the things that we know, right? When you are a... How many of you know, like, all the bad and good decisions that the coach has made on your favorite sports team and all the ways that your team could be better and the, the players could play better? You know it all, and if only they would call you up and ask you, then you could tell them all the ways that they could actually win the championship, right? Because you know. But if given the opportunity to go out there and slam dunk the basketball, would you be able to do it? Because you don't have the skill, right? You know a lot, but you don't actually have the wisdom or you don't have the skill to be able to go out and do it. And so for us to, to receive, as he, as he says here, with meekness, the implanted word, when he talks about by our good conduct, by our good conduct showing our works in the meekness of wisdom, what he's talking about is really just a focus on doing. Doing not what we want to do, not what, what makes sense to us, but doing what the master wants us to do, right? What the writer wants us to do. Being under control, wholly and completely. And that is what wisdom is all about. When you go to Proverbs chapter 1 through chapter 9, and you read that those first few chapters in the book of Proverbs, what you will see over and over again is how wisdom is calling for you. Wisdom wants you. Wisdom wants a relationship with you. And wisdom wants you to listen to her. Wisdom being personified as a, as a woman there calling to you. Wisdom wants you to listen and obey and do and take action. But as he talks about here, there's a wisdom that we all have that isn't from above. You ever struggle with that wisdom? You ever struggle with that kind of what makes sense to you, the way you think that a situation should be handled? And that is not obedience, right? That is not faith leading to change. That is just what you want. You're not being meek in that case. You're not, you're not being under the control of, of your rider. You are, you're driving the ship. You're the captain. And I think for... And anyone been there? <laughs> yeah? I think we've all been there, right? All of us have been in that situation where we haven't been as meek as we should have been, where we were doing more of what we wanted to do rather than what the Lord wanted us to do. And that often happens when we just hear the words and say, well, that was a nice story, Jesus. And we leave, we get in our cars, and we go home, and then we just live the way we were always going to live originally. And that, that doesn't work, and that's not what James is talking about here. 
Okay, so the, are we good with meekness? Anybody have anything more on meekness? Because I think meekness is a huge part of this, right? If you can't allow the Lord to control you, then in humility, you're never gonna you're never gonna do what He wants you to do, right? We don't have that meekness. I don't know that we have a teachable heart. That's it, right? It's the moldability, right? It's the teachability, and that's what Jesus is calling people to there at the end of the sermon. So often, right? Even to the churches in Revelation. He's calling them to, to, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear, right? Not that we just are acquiring knowledge, but that we actually are being teachable in those moments. Rick? Yeah, I've always thought of meekness in contrast to what we read about the people of the Old Testament. They have hard hearts. Yes, hard-heartedness is huge. And meekness to me is like soft heart. Yeah. It can be, something can be planted in there. Sure. And that ties into that idea, right, of, of receiving with meekness the implanted word. You don't want to put it in, like, rock-hard soil. You want it to be in somewhere that it can take root. And, of course, that goes back to Jesus' great parable about the, the different kinds of soil. Okay, so meekness is one really important word here. And I, I'm not going to focus too much on the second word, but there's a word that we've been touching on in our, our last two lessons, and I'm not sure we've entirely fleshed it out super well yet. It's this word perfect. The word perfect here is used at least six, maybe seven times, depending on your translation. But the word perfect uh, is, is really the, the focus of what James, I think, is trying to get us to see. And I think we have, a lot of, we have some hard time with the word perfect, because what, what do we immediately want to do when we think of the word perfect? Sinless, right? Is that the, is that the sense of this word? It isn't. It isn't, because he's talking about like in verse 4 of chapter 1, let, let steadfast have its full effect. Actually, that word full is the same Greek word for perfect. Have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the goal here, right? What is, what is the sense of this word perfect? What, are you tr what is it trying to convey to us? What is our ultimate goal as, as Christians, as people? Maturity. Maturity, right? And not a maturity of, like, age, just alone, right? It's, it's that we've got, we've got things developed, well-developed, um, that it's not, we're not lacking certain things. Like, like a younger person might be lacking things. As, as we mature and get older, we've, we've shored up the things that we're lacking. That's a, that's a good way of thinking about it. What else? What, what other ideas does this word convey to you? That was a lot. Having everything you need. Okay. Having, having it all there. God has provided everything you need. Absolutely. Somebody else? Made whole, right? And these ideas are all, all saying the same thing, right? Maturity, being made whole, having everything you need. Have you ever done a, 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 a puzzle and... You, you started working on the puzzle and you realized part of the way through it that you were missing pieces. That you, isn't that frustrating when you, you can't complete the puzzle because you, you know, some, a dog ate the piece and now you can't finish the puzzle, right? There's something really dissatisfying by not being able to, to complete what we know we should be able to complete. And what, what James is laying out for us, what the Bible, what Jesus lays out for us is the, the, the cover of the puzzle, right? The box of the puzzle. 
where you look at it and you see this is what it should look like. This is who we should be. But I'm missing a piece. I'm missing lots of pieces. And a lot of us want to think that we've got it all put together and that we've got all the pieces there. But who here has all the pieces? <laughs> I, no. I, with Jesus, we can let steadfastness have its full effect, that we can be complete. We can become mature. It is a goal that we can aspire to. But every single one of us can connect with the fact that we don't have it all put together all the time. And some of us will go through moments where we're more complete than we are at other times. And I want to see that here in just a little bit. So we're all on the same page about this idea of perfect because as he goes on in verse 25 in our text for tonight, he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Where do you find out what you need to be whole and complete? The law, the, the perfect law of liberty, right? You look here. You look into this book. And this book teaches us how to be whole. This book is the, is the front of the puzzle. <laughs> that is what we do when we, when we study. We see the example. We see the, the standard. We see who we should be. And it's not to say that we're always perfect, that we're always complete, that we always have everything put together, but this book teaches us how to do that. So that's, that's why perfect in this context is really important. And one of James's great, I think one of the great things that he's trying to get us to see is that we can have it all put together if, if we're meek, if we let our faith and what we believe truly change us. But if we choose to just ignore it, if we choose to just show up on a, on a Tuesday night, I almost said Wednesday night, Tuesday night, if, if we just choose to show up on a Tuesday night and then get in our cars, drive home, and, and just act however we were going to act in originally, well, we're missing it, right? We're still incomplete. We're still missing a piece. Great. I like your analogy of, of the picture puzzle. Like you said, this is, the picture is here. Yeah. And, and our attempt is to take the pieces and, and make a picture. Stop. Well, you know, you could, you could convince yourself, and this is maybe a theme of this next section, you can convince yourself the puzzle is done. And all anyone has to do is walk over and say, oh, you're missing a piece. Oh, you're missing a lot of pieces. Look at that whole section of the puzzle that's missing. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't notice. And that's really the thought for me in reading a book like James is, is what's missing? Right? What's missing in my life? What am I, what am I not seeing? Because maybe I think I've got it all put together. Maybe I think I am perfect. I am complete. Maybe I think I've got all the answers and I've got, but, but am I missing something? Ashlyn used to play a game when she was little. Uh, and it was like super, super little. We would go to a table at a restaurant and she would make us close our eyes and she would take things off the table. She'd hide them under the table and, and we'd open our eyes and she'd say, what's missing? And we'd have to guess based on our memory what was off the table and that is, that is sort of the game of our life, is to figure out what is missing. And that only comes by, by really intently studying the standard. Yeah. Just real quickly, um, 
13, where we have all these spiritual gifts, the church is immature, it's not complete, it's not mature at all, but Paul goes on to say, when that which is perfect, perfect comes, yeah. that which is complete, that which is mature, James here says, uh, that we look into the perfect, perfect. law well, of liberty. Yep. It's complete, it's mature, we don't need those spiritual, uh, miraculous spiritual things anymore. Right. It is, for sure. And that idea is carried throughout, throughout the scriptures. And I think it's important for us to just make a moment of that because James actually does use this word perfect like six times throughout this book. And so in thinking about our need to change, I think it's important for us to see what are we changing to? We're changing to conform to the standard. We're changing to, to, to be under control in a meek way, in a receptive, soft-hearted way, into, into something that Christ would recognize as his own, right? When he talks about in there in Matthew 7, depart from me, I never knew you, he doesn't know things that are not conforming to his standard. He doesn't know those who've not built their life on his foundation. He doesn't have a relationship with them. So we're all on the same page there. Let's move on, I think, to chapter 2, because I think we've got... 15 minutes. So we'll see if we can make it through this. Uh, James chapter 2 then uh, is really the, the place where I think we study a lot. Um, and we're not going to say a whole lot of new things, I think, getting into this section. It's just a rehashing, maybe a reiteration of some of the things we've been talking about already. Um, but then he goes on to say in verse uh, 14 of James chapter 2, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. One of my favorite passages. I love this section. Because have you ever been there where you looked at somebody and thought to yourself, go in peace? Be warmed and filled. How does that sound like when you've said it, if you've ever said it, or if you've ever thought something like that? How does that sound like in your situation? I think the word platitude is almost what this is meant for, right? It is very much a platitude, right? It's very much a, I don't really mean this, but I'm going to say it to make not you feel better. I'm going to say it to make myself feel better to absolve myself of the actual responsibility of doing something about it. Because in the example that James gives here, what should have been the alternate reaction to this situation? Just do it, right? I was going to put up the Nike swoosh up on the thing just for the whole lesson because I think, you know, for a lot of us, I think we, we you know, that's the idea, right, is, is what James is trying to convey here. Just do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. That's what we need to do. And if you see a need, you do it. And again, I don't want to step too much on this because that's what Ryan's going to talk about tomorrow night. But this idea is super important. When you see a need around you, especially as we've been talking about with 1 Corinthians 13 and the, the idea of love, right? You, you, you can't have love and not let it turn you into an actor for the Lord, right? You can go out there and you can, you can shout and sing. You can do all kinds of, of 
promotion and, and bang a gong and all the, the show and the pomp and circumstance, but there, if there isn't that, that love behind it, it's, it's meaningless. If you have all of this, this faith and you believe in everything, but you don't actually do anything about it, well, that's meaningless. So it's kind of two sides of the same coin, right? You can, you can act, but if you don't have the substance behind it, or you can have so much belief and understanding and knowledge, but if you don't do anything about it, in either one of those cases, the pendulum has swung too far the other direction. And we need to, we need to find that wholeness and integrity where we're, we're really wholehearted people. And when we see a need, we take care of it. So that's the idea here. And I think a lot of us, this is perceived by the world in a lot of very negative ways. Where when sometimes we say, well, I'm praying for you. Now that's a hard one, right? Is praying for someone a good thing that we can do? Absolutely. Nelson, I don't want to step on your lesson on Friday, because that's what you're going to be talking about, is praying, praying for situations. And that's where we started this whole thing out. In the beginning, praying for what? For wisdom. Prayer is super huge, and we need to be praying. But if all we ever do is pray, and we don't actually do anything about it, then are we really listening to what James says here? This is where the gut punch comes in. <laughs> you know, it, prayer is powerful, absolutely. But James says if you see a need and you merely just shout platitudes in their direction and don't actually step in and actually support and help, then you're missing something. Is that challenging for anyone? Yeah, and it's meant to be. It's meant, to, it's meant to make us kind of squirm a little bit. Because I think a lot, of t a lot of times we can look at other people who don't do this. Oh, those people over there who don't take action, or they don't get involved, or they don't do the right things, or they don't believe the right things, or, you know, we, we, look, we, we sort of deflect and distract. But it's real hard when we start looking inwardly at these kinds of things. Am I actually stepping in and doing the kinds of things that are required of me when I see a need? Okay, so he says... That faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And then he raises this sort of, uh, I'm not going to say a straw man, but he, he introduces this, uh, this character, whoever this is. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, I don't know who this someone is, but the someone is wrong. <laughs> because the someone is trying to get us to say, well, it's okay for you to have faith. I'm, I'm the one over here working. You know, but, but we can both be okay, right? We can, it almost sounds like agreeing to disagree in some ways. Oh, you can have faith and I can have works and that's just a diff the different gifts we all have, right? Peggy, you're really good at working and I'm really good at believing, so I'll just believe and you, but no, James is gonna go on to talk about here, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Can you really separate faith and works? Can you really? You shouldn't even try. That's good. Because it, it, faith does not exist without works. There is no faith without works. And again, we can get kind of off on a rabbit trail about faith and works and the role of our works and, of course, with the, you know, the grace of Jesus and everything else and how our works fit into all of that. Are we all okay just accepting the fact that works are super important here? and that James is highlighting to us that our works matter. James is not disagreeing with Paul <laughs> from Romans. Yeah? Isn't 
that how Jesus knows us going back to Matthew? Yes. Yes. It's how, we, it's how other people will know us, right? Because of the love that we have for each other even and how Jesus has a relationship with us because we listen to him. And, and yes, what we do matters. Everybody who is a parent here can totally get this. Why do we like, why do we so, sort of lose our common sense when it comes to studying you know, religious ideas? Everyone who's a parent, if you looked at your kid and you said, child of mine, I love you so much, get out there and, and take the trash out. And then if they said, yes, mother dearest, I absolutely love you so much, and they sat there and continued playing the Xbox. Would that be, would that be at all representative of, you know, they, they said lots of good things, they seemed to, to respect you, but if they didn't do what you said, would you be okay with that? Yes. It's exactly that, right? And the one who actually changed his mind, even though he initially didn't want to, he was the one who was accepted, right? The one who said he would but didn't actually go do it was not accepted. And that's a super good example. Yeah, Nelson. And that's where I, I struggle with this lesson particularly because without the conversation that we're going to have tomorrow night, this would be a very generic, vague kind of lesson. And I would prefer not to step all over what Ryan's going to talk about tomorrow night. But it is absolutely 100%. What are we changing to? Right? We're changing to the image of Jesus. Whatever that means for you, whatever that means in your situation, whatever you are, whatever puzzle piece you are missing that Jesus demands of you and has called you to do, whatever that puzzle piece is, and it's going to be different for every one of us, that's what we need to address. That's what we need to focus on. And so that as long as at the end of this, we are perfect and complete and mature, not by our own standards, but by Christ's standards, in the way that we treat each other. And that's really what James is so focused on here, right? Loving the Lord our God with all of our heart. This is a reiteration of what Jesus would talk about, about the two, two greatest commandments. Loving the Lord our God with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourselves. That is what James is focused on here. And the loving our neighbor as ourselves is the next piece of this. And so if we really want to talk about change and what we do and what faith leads us to do, it leads us to take action in the lives of other people. And that's what we're kind of, you know, scripturally dancing around here at this point. Mike, go ahead. So to push this back and this is me, I'll speak up a little bit because we also, we're reading James at a point in time of a new church. Sure. So we're looking around for people, who are we going to follow? Well, I like it that you brought up the Sermon on the Mount because I agree. And who was Jesus pushing in the Sermon on the Mount? The Pharisees. Yeah. And here he's saying, you can have faith like the Pharisees and do nothing. And I don't know. 
you can have faith like the Pharisees and go do something, and I understand it. Right. And that's what he's telling them. So when they're looking around at religious leaders, I think that was uh, one of the, the lesson was on Sunday was, look at me. I'm Peter. Now I'm standing up in front. Now you're looking at me. Now go do something. Sure. I've told you what to do. Go do it. And I think, you know, in the in the cultural thing, you're, you're absolutely right. He's setting off some big thoughts, just like Jesus. This is not sit back. Okay, you're a Christian. Don't sit back. Now there's things that you need to do. And if you're looking for somebody, don't look at the Pharisees. <coughs> look at faith and look at Christ in the world. Sure. And I think it's important for us to see, because he uses two really powerful examples in the Jewish history, right, of Abraham, who obviously took action. Yeah, Abraham and then of Rahab, which are two totally ends of the, opposite ends of the spectrum, right? But whoever you can connect to, you can connect to one of these two people. It would be really easy for us to, I think, focus on maybe some of the good examples of faith, people who let their faith take action and made some changes as a result of that. Um, can you think of anyone who didn't? Can you think of anyone? Because we could all go to like Hebrews 11, right, and just rattle off the list of people. But think of an example. Are, is there an example in the Bible of somebody who did not let their faith follow through into change, into action? Uh, was it Simon, Joseph's brother? Yes. That he knew he wanted to go help his brother out, but but so he knew the right thing to do, yet he didn't do it. And for him, yeah, okay. He was guilty for years. He, he felt it, right? Yeah. And Judas. Judas. Thank you for bringing that up, Michelle. Judas is one of the great examples, in my mind, of somebody who followed Jesus around for how long? Knew the right thing to do for how long? But didn't actually do it? Tony? Uh, Old Testament example, uh, Eve. You know, because you said no. Sure. One of the, the very first one, right? Knew what the right thing to do, but didn't do it. Elise? Yeah. Okay. And, and, and so, really, just the focus there on knowing even what Jesus said, right, to, to do, well, what, and, and wouldn't do it. Yeah, if you want to be perfect. If you want to be perfect, right? Exactly. That's, there's the tie-in. What about Peter. Peter did this a lot, actually. Peter knew the right thing to do, and Jesus even told him that he was going to do the wrong thing. And Peter was like, no way, Jose. And then Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter also played the hypocrite later on when you know, the, the, the Pharisees came along, or the, the, the Jewish people came in, and he, he abandoned sort of the, the Gentiles that he had been spending so much time with. And Paul had, had to call him out. John? And Peter also had faith to step on the water, to walk on the water, and then he didn't get Okay, so that's the point that I really want to get to here, is while we can all say, like, you know, it's either this or it's either on or off, right? There are people like Peter who, for the vast majority of their life, were pushing toward that ideal, right? They were pushing toward perfection and being complete, and being mature. And you'd probably say that he had more faith than even I could ever imagine to have, but he was lacking. And he, even he needed to shore it up. And I think, you know, maybe, maybe that thought, just thinking about people like that, 
is helpful for you and I because we're not all there. We don't have it all put together. And as much as we are trying to let our faith change us, it's not a binary thing. It's not an on or an off thing. It will be a matter of degrees. Our faith sometimes will be a little faith. <laughs> our faith sometimes will be a bigger faith, a great faith. But hopefully throughout our lives, we can be pushing more and more toward the goal of perfection in Jesus. And that's going to require a lot of change and a lot of, of introspection and self-examination and getting real with ourselves and letting James punch us in the gut like Jesus did in, in the Sermon on the Mount. You know what I always wonder about is Nicodemus. Oh, yeah. I, really I do, too. Yeah, a whole lot. That's a good uh, one of those ones we'll have to wait to ask later on. Anything else? I, there, there's a lot we can talk about, and this conversation is going to roll right in, I think, to the next one that we're going to have tomorrow night. So we're not over, but we will be for tonight. Is there anything else that anyone wanted to say before we close? Cool. Thanks so much for your attention. Appreciate it.